All right, if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to 2 John. Today we, um, earlier, a long time ago, I was in a series in 1 John and broke off and did some other things since then, but wanted to come back and finish off uh, because I really do believe these three letters go together, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And uh, so uh, today we'll look at 2nd John, then ne- next week 3rd John. And uh, so if you would please stand in honor of God's Word. We will read through uh, the entire letter. It's a very short letter, uh, but it gives us a chance to do what they did in the first century uh, when a letter would be written to a church such as Philippians or 1 John or some other letter, they would gather and they would read through the whole thing. Uh, so this is short enough that we can do that. So let's look at 2 John, verse 1. The elder to the lady chosen by God and to her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, will be with us in truth and love. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I am not writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another, and this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your sister, who is chosen by God, send their greetings. Let's pray. Well, Father, I pray today that you would teach us from your word that we would uh, be a people whose minds are formed by the inspired word of God and that our lives would be directed by the truth of Scripture. So, uh, Father, remove me from the picture. I pray that your Holy Spirit would just work through us right now to understand what this word says, what it means, how we're to apply it to our lives. And we give you all praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. One of the lessons learned from visiting uh, different places around the world is... Uh, people in other places don't do things the same way we do. And uh, they, uh, of course, do a lot differently. They eat different foods. They have different customs and so forth. Um, And their churches are different. They don't necessarily have steeples or pews or stages. uh, And some don't even have a pastor, uh, believe it or not. We had a local pastor that was a translator for us, and he pastored nine churches uh, he would uh, preach at three on any given Sunday. He'd preach, and he'd travel to the next one. He'd preach and minister, and he'd travel to uh, the next one, and so on. 
And his churches every single day have a two-hour prayer meeting. Uh, every week they fast and pray on Friday. And every month they have a time where they pray around the clock for 24 hours. So they do things uh, differently. And uh, that's not necessarily good or bad, but it was certainly a blessing to, to hear from him and how uh, God is working over in that area. But the way that uh, the organization we're partnering with is organized is they have a state leader, and then they have what they call district leaders, and then they have key leaders, and then they have uh, either local pastors or uh, Bible study leaders in those uh, communities. And I really feel like uh, the reason I'm bringing all this up is I think a lot of that is relevant for what we're looking at today. We have the Apostle John. He calls himself the elder. Uh, I think that probably uh, indicates in his situation that he's older, advanced in years, and he is gone from place to place, witnessing, evangelizing, uh, making disciples and so forth, going into perhaps different villages or different uh, communities and making disciples there, planting churches there. And as he does so, he uh, raises up leaders underneath him, but he's overseeing this network of churches. And, uh, of course, he can't shoot email. He can't uh, send a video message. So everything's depend- his interaction with them is dependent upon uh, the written word. He'd much rather be with them in person. Notice what it says in 2 John verse 12. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. So this is the avenue he has in the meantime uh, to pastor, to disciple, to lead, and to direct is by writing uh, this letter to them. And the apostle John had a theological crisis on his hands, festering in these uh, churches. It seemed that people were claiming to have special revelation from God, okay? And that special revelation was contrary uh, to what the Apostle John had taught in these churches. It was contrary to the Apostles' teaching. Uh, They were denying that Jesus came in the flesh. You'll notice there in verse 7, who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ coming in the flesh. Uh, There were those who uh, probably were teaching that uh, the divine nature of Christ uh, ascended into heaven before Jesus was crucified on the cross. So a lot of different uh, possibilities as to what exactly the false teaching was, but it revolved around Jesus and who Jesus is, what Jesus accomplished, and they perhaps claimed to have these special revelations from God And when you do that, you can lead an entire community astray. You can lead an entire church astray because they didn't, as we're going to talk about a little bit more today, they didn't have this uh, to cross-reference what was being said. Uh, They probably didn't have pulpits in many situations as we do, but what was said in their gatherings, uh, they didn't have uh, the written word to cross-check them in many situations. So 1 John, uh, what we looked at in our last series, worked more like a sermon or a theological statement. If you go back to 1 John, you look at the opening, it doesn't open the same way that many other uh, letters open. So many letters uh, give a greeting, and then after that greeting, uh, it says, you know, uh, to who, it's, who, who this letter's to. 1 John doesn't start, it just begins. It starts like a sermon or like a theological statement where he's addressing uh, these issues going on in churches. Second and third John are different uh, because he is writing a personal letter either to a person or to a congregation. Uh, 
Third John is clearly written to Gaius, to a, a real person. Uh, a lot of debate on Second John as to whether or not it was written to a congregation. Uh, many times Israel, the church, referred to uh, like the bride of Christ, things like this. Um, and so it could be to an entire church or to an actual lady uh, within the church. Um, either way, the basic meaning remains the same. It doesn't affect the basic meaning of the text. But it's interesting because uh, a lot of times when they would write a personal letter to someone in the first century, it would be read publicly. And so, for example, uh, you've got Colossians and Philemon. Okay, so probably what happened is uh, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church at Colossae, and so he gets a paperclip and he attaches Philemon. He didn't have paperclips, but anyway, you get the idea. He, he sent both, right? He, he sent both. And uh, so uh, imagine the situation where, oh, man, we've got a letter from the Apostle Paul. Everybody's excited. Everybody shows up to church that Sunday morning so that they can hear Colossians for the first time. Can you imagine hearing it for the first time? When you don't have any content, you don't have the New Testament bound. And, in your, and for the first time, the letter walks through, or not the letter, but it's brought through the back door and someone reads it. To the I would imagine they were on pins and needles to hear what he had to say. And then he gets to the end and, oh, well, look here, we've got a letter to Philemon. Now, in our day, if, if someone said, oh, and we have a letter to, to Jared, I'd say, okay, well, give it to me, right? So, so that I can read it and see what it says. That's not how they operated back then. It was like, okay, so now we're going to read Paul's letter to Philemon. Everybody's like, oh, this is going to be good. Let's, let's hear what he has to say. And so Philemon is read to the congregation, to Philemon, but for everyone else's benefit. And so now he's given this theological statement in Colossians, and now he's giving a practical way to flesh this out with a real member. Because guess who showed up in Colossae? This guy named Onesimus. He's probably hiding behind the, these apostles going in front of him. He's kind of sheepishly walking into the community, and they've accepted him in, and now they've read Colossians, and he's like, yeah, you hear all that about reconciliation and all that Paul said about that? Okay, now we've got a letter to Philemon. Everybody's listening in, as Paul says, receive him as you would receive me, and by the way, you owe me your very life. And so he reads the letter, he closes the letter, and then there's probably that moment where everybody turns and looks at Philemon, right? Like, what are you going to do now? Because it's been read before the whole congregation. And we love theology until it places demands on our daily lives. And then all of a sudden, we're not such a big fan anymore because it means we've got to sacrifice something. We've got to crucify self, pick up our cross, deny self, pick up our cross, and follow after Jesus. And so whether 2 John's written to just one person or, or to the whole congregation, it's certainly for the whole congregation's benefit just as 3 John is. And so uh, today we look at three critical reminders for being faithful, three critical reminders for being faithful. Um, I would imagine if you were uh, able to hop in a time machine, go back, uh, and sit down with the Apostle John and start up a theological, just start up a spiritual conversation with him, I would imagine certain themes would come out and he would just pound on them over and over and over. 
and, uh, and that's what we're going to see today. He, he's gone all through 1 John. We talked about life, light, and love, okay? And now we get to 2 John, and guess what he's going to talk about? He's going to talk about some of the same stuff. He's re-emphasizing it for a personal situation within this congregation. So, three critical reminders for being faithful to the Lord. Number one, live in truth. Now, I just want, I'm going to read the first four verses again, okay? Uh, the first four verses, and I want you to listen for the word truth. Listen for the word truth, and I want you to ask yourself, could he emphasize this theme anymore in the opening four verses of this letter? The elder, to the lady chosen by God and to her children, whom I love in the truth. And not I only, but also all who know the truth. Because of the truth, which lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, will be with us in truth and love. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded. Why this emphasis on truth? Truth. He's just pounding it. Why this emphasis on truth? This was the battle that they were fighting. This is what they, these, this network of churches, this is what they are dealing with. They are in a battle for what is true. What is the truth relating to Jesus Christ? And it was a serious problem. Churches were falling away, as we are going to find out later. Many deceivers, many antichrists were going into the world, and they were effective. They were uh, successful in bringing churches and in bringing individuals away from the truth of the Christian faith. And so there's this heavy emphasis precisely because of the threat to congregations, this firestorm of falsehood that they were dealing with. Now the question is, what is truth? What is the truth that he is referring to? Uh, We use that word just in a generic way as to whether something's true or false. Uh, But what is the truth he's referring to. John is referring mainly to the truth about Christ and our responsibility to obey his commandments. If you remember when we were in 1 John, we said that there are three gen, uh, tests uh, for a genuine faith. So uh, imagine the situation where you've got this village and you've got this church there, and then you've got someone who walks in who claims to speak for God. And they claim to have this special revelation from God about Jesus Christ. And so everybody's like, oh man, we want to hear what you have to say. We're, we're interested to hear what you have to say to us. And, but how do we really know if it's from God? How do we really know if this person is representing Christ well? So in many ways, 1 John is written to give us these tests so that we can examine someone when they walk into our community as to whether or not they really do represent God. But at the same time, it's also written for you to where you're not self-deceived into thinking you're a follower of Jesus when you're really, in fact, not. And so if you'll remember, we, gave, we, we looked at three tests. Number one was the confessional test. The confessional test, what you believe, what do you believe and acknowledge about Jesus. What do you believe and acknowledge about Jesus? And I say believe and acknowledge because it's not just an intellectual agreement or belief. It's also something that you acknowledge with your mouth. It's not something that you keep uh, to yourself. 
It's something that you are public about and you live openly about. So there's this confessional test where you acknowledge who Jesus is. Notice again verse 7. They did not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. They denied core teachings about who Jesus was. Jesus is what binds us together. He's what brings us together in this place. You come from a number of different backgrounds and customs and traditions and ideas. A lot of them are the same. But praise God, if you were to go to India, if you were to go to Honduras, if you were to go to anywhere around the world and you were to walk into a community of believers, they worship the same Christ you do. And yes, their situation, their circumstances might look different. They might do things differently than us. But they're following Jesus with us. And it's just beautiful to think that on the first day of the week, all around the world, people gather for worship at their churches and they worship, they sing to Jesus, they proclaim Jesus. And it's a beautiful thought to realize that. Number two test is a lifestyle test. You obey the commands of Christ. So it's not just that you believe the right things and say the right things. It's that your life demonstrates your allegiance to Jesus, your loyalty to Jesus, your commitment and devotion to following him. You really do deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow after Jesus. And that's not just, again, some abstract theological thing that you affirm. It's flesh and blood lived out in your daily life on a consistent manner. One day, the Bible says that um, there will be people that stand before God and he will say, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. So while we are not saved by works, certainly what you do in your life demonstrates your allegiance to Christ, your faith in Christ or not. Faith, genuine faith, produces faithfulness to the Lord. And then number three is the relational test. And we'll talk about this more later. Love others as God has loved you. Show me someone who is loving, and I'll show you someone uh, who um, is reflecting Christ well when we love as Jesus loved us. So uh, now we might think as we look at this, he's talking about walk in truth, live in truth. We might think the problem is just that they believed wrong things. Okay, and that, that's the problem. And a lot of time and effort today is spent on making sure everybody believes the right stuff. And I think that is important. But I don't think that is the foundational issue here. Because notice again what he says in verse 4. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in truth. His real concern is not just that they know the truth. That's important. But for him, knowing the truth, there, there's this element uh, that he implies in that where it means that you're walking according to the truth, which is a Jewish metaphor for your behavior, for your conduct, for the way that you live your life. And the problem is many had fallen away from the truth. In other words, they may have known the truth, but they were not living according to the truth as John would have had them live. So... I think we have a significant advantage in many ways to churches in the first century because we have this. This is an incredible blessing. I just don't think we fully, I know I take for granted and don't fully appreciate what it means 
to have a Bible in my language that I can read on a regular basis to understand what it says. I just don't think, I think I and probably a lot of us take for granted this gift that we've been given. Because in the first century when they come in, they didn't have this. They had a letter. Maybe more than one, but they had a letter. They, they had what John the Apostle, I mean, that's an advantage that they had. The Apostle John strolled into the community and discipled them and, and trained them. But when he left, what did they have? They had, well, I remember John said this, John taught, and they had certain teachers, certain people who would stand up and, and hand down these traditions, these stories that people could commit to their lives. And then they would just prayerfully, as someone else walked in and claimed to be a follower of Jesus, they, they just prayed that they were true and they were legitimate. But anytime I stand up and say something on a Sunday morning, you have the ability to open your Bible and study it for yourself, to read it for yourself, to check me, to check other people in your life when they say stuff to you, to see if it's in accordance with the Word of God. Specifically, what we say about Christ. But, but let me tell you something. Right now around the world, there are people who do not have what you have right in front of you. Not just the first century problem. It's a problem today as well where people do not have this in front of them. They don't have it either in their language or uh, in some situations it's just not available for them. But they have a distinct advantage over us if they do hear the word shared with them and then they obey it. That's an advantage that anybody would have over us. We've got this wealth. I can go over to my office right now, and I've just got walls with, with Bible after Bible after Bible, so I can read this version and this version, this version, really trying to get down to the, uh, to the meaning of the, of the text. We, we've got this wealth of Christian literature, but do you not only read your Bible, do you study your Bible? Are you hungry to, are you hungry to understand what it means not just what it says, but what, it, what this means. And then, are you faithful to say, okay, now I'm going to apply this to my life. I'm going to put this into practice. Um, I want to ask you to do something. I want to ask you, if you don't have a plan to read your Bible, I want you to start reading your Bible today. Go home, read a chapter. Good news is, You've already got your Bible reading in for today, but maybe go read another one, right? Go, go read a chapter. Study it. Like, okay, we're going to observe what it says. We're going to uh, really try to understand its meaning. And then number three, apply it to your life. Write down a step that you can take, an action that you can take to put it into practice in your life. Commit to live in truth. Number two, reminder, live in love. Live in love. I really feel like um, when John gets to talk about love, he hits his stride. It's like this is the thing he's been wanting to get to. And in this letter, it doesn't take him long, of course, to get there. Uh, by the way, the reason 2 John and 3 John are the length that they are, it's probably because that, that was the length of a papyrus sheet of paper, and that was the common length of uh, writing in those days. Romans... All these other letters we have that are so long, it's really, uh, uh, it, 
it was much different than what was regular and typical in those days. Second John, third John, that's a typical length of a letter because that's about the size of a papyrus sheet in those days. But now John has gotten to his favorite topic in verse 5. He says, and now, dear lady, I'm not writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. So he gets to his favorite topic, love each other. You can see how he's emphasizing these different tests, uh, and now he comes to the test of love. You're not really walking in the truth if you're not walking in love, and you're not really walking in love if you're not walking in truth. Those go together. You cannot do just one and not the other. They really do run together. Uh, they are two sides of the same coin. Notice what, he's, what is love. If we were to ask, what is love? Verse 6, and this is love. He defines what love is for us. That we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. <laughs> so it's like, okay, what is, what is love? Okay, you obey his command. Okay, what is his command? Walk in love. Okay, Say that one more time, right? Uh, and so he's got this cyclical nature in which he's writing to us, helping us to understand how walking in truth, walking in love go together. So Christian love is not this flighty, elaborate use of words or, or uh, how we feel or anything like that regarding emotion. That, that might play into it, but real love plays itself out in concrete action on behalf of another person. So if you're in a relationship with someone... Love will be demonstrated in how you treat them. If you act on their behalf for their good, serving them, being their advocate, humbling yourself in this way and caring for their needs. This is what it looks like to love another person. It doesn't just end with words. Okay, those of you uh, coming into a place in your life where you're looking for uh, a spouse or something like that, just know that, that love uh, has a pretty good definition in Scripture and it's not whether they can talk a good game, uh, and it's not a lot of other things that we associate with love today. It's, okay, are they going to put this into practice and act on my behalf, or am I a tool that they're using for self? Your love for God, by the way, will be shown by your loyalty and your rugged commitment to follow his teachings, even on days when you don't feel like it. And how many of us, there are days we, we just don't feel like it? And, and, and quite honestly, usually it's this whole walk in love business. We love loving people that are easy to love. But there's that guy at work. And it's like, surely there's got to be a loophole in here somewhere. Can we, Brother Jared, can you help me find a loophole so I can get around not having to love this person? you would turn over to 1 John chapter 4 verse 7. 1 John chapter 4 verse 7. I said when we went through 1 John that love is the single greatest outward mark of a true Christian. I think it's the single greatest outward mark of a true Christian, of an authentic faith. 
And 1 John 4, 7, I think, draws all the threads together. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. So now, remember that definition You're taking a concrete action on behalf of someone else. You're serving as their advocate. You're you're doing something in care of this other person. And that definition works with the way that God loves us. Because it's not just that God said, hey, I love you, and, and here's a love letter. It's not that he just stopped with that. Praise God, we have this. But that's not all we have. He didn't just throw down a book or a philosophy. What does it say? 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. God didn't just say that he loved the world. He showed us his love. The Bible says in Romans 5, 8, God proved his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The atoning sacrifice for our sins as our Savior, as our advocate, in order that we might live in him. This is an incredible gift that we've been given. But it's not just a gift that we've been given. It's something that we are to pour out onto other people. So I want you to ask yourself, okay, now let's get to, everybody's like, amen, praise the Lord, hallelujah right now, right? But I've said before, I think the most controversial thing about Jesus was how he loved people. And that's what really ticked people off in Jesus' day. He hung out with people he wasn't supposed to be hanging out with. He was around people. He wasn't supposed to be around. He had to tell, you know, the whole point of the prodigal son is he's explaining why I'm hanging out with these folks. Because God rejoices when a sinner comes into his kingdom. But you're not going to get sinners to come into the kingdom of God if you don't hang around sinners. You've got to be in their presence to share the good news of great joy of Christ. So here's what I want to ask you to do. I want you to ask yourself the question, what can I do today to show the love of God to other people? What can I do today to show the love of God to other people? I want you to think about this now. I want you to actually, well, let's put some mental effort into this. Who are the people that you know? You've got a spouse. You've got children. You've got a parent. Parents. You've got um, friends. You've got coworkers, you've got enemies who might be your coworkers, but I don't know. But you've got people, right? And what if you've made a list of some names? Like, okay, here's some concrete steps I can take, some actions I can take to show love. And then after you've got it written down, put it into practice. The Bible tells us not to be hearers of the word only, but to be doers. Of the word. We're just deceiving ourselves if we come in here on Sunday morning and we feel like maybe this is a good message, maybe it's not, and then we go out and we evaluate it, and then we go to lunch and we forget about it and we move on with our life. 
That's not a good way to interact on Sunday morning. By the way, it's not a good way to interact on your normal devotional that you have every day. It's not just uh, let's, let's read, let's be fed, and then let's go off as if nothing ever happened and pray that I'm encouraged for the day. No, read, understand, but then put it into practice. Live it out. <laughs> Amen and probably a little bit of ouch as well. Um, Okay, number three, reminder. Number three, reminder, live in watchfulness. Live in watchfulness. Notice the real problem that they had uh, here is uh, found in verses 7 and following. I'll say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Praise God that we don't have deceivers and antichrists in our own day, right? Um. Yeah, we do. And, and not only do we have more, they've got the ability right now to influence a lot more people than they ever have been able to. So they can come up with a false teaching. And by the way, false, te- false teachings play upon your cravings, your wants, and your desires. There are certain things that you want to do. In your sinful nature, you want to do these certain things, and the devil knows this. And so the devil's going to send you a prophet to say, go do it and feel good about it. Run headlong in this direction. I've joked with you before, the devil's not going to tempt you with kale, right? Not going to tempt you. He's going to tempt you with something that you want to do already, and you're just looking for an excuse to take that step, to get that ball rolled, to move in that direction. And he'll send a prophet to you to say, oh, yes, go in that direction. You'll, you'll find satisfaction. You'll find fulfillment. You'll feel so good. And forget about this whole guilt thing. Just do what you want to do. It's not just something that they preached back then. It's something that's alive and well today as well, which is why he says, verse 9, excuse me, verse 8, watch out. Be watchful. Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Can you just imagine he goes to this community, he disciples them, they're growing, they're, they're um, blossoming in their faith, and, and okay, I've got to go on to this other community, and then this other guy comes in here, and he starts teaching things that are false, and then the threat is that they buy into this, and that they lose the ground that they gained with the Apostle John. It's a real thing to lose ground. How many of us, At points in our life, we've lost some ground. If you're a follower in Christ, there there are times where you just lose some ground. It happens. So be watchful. Don't allow that to happen. Be alert. Be on guard. He continues on, verse 9, Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teachings of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. So the, the anchor for us are the teachings of Christ. Scripture, this is the anchor for us. When our, when our emotions, when our feelings, when our wants, when our cravings are, are pulling us this direction, maybe uh, in, the, in the course of this world it's pushing us. There's this current like a river pushing us in this direction. We got people on the sidelines, these false prophets saying, yeah, go that way, go that way, go that way. Everybody's this, going to make you feel good. But then we've got this anchor. We've got this anchor that holds us back and keeps us in life rather than allowing us to drift off into death and darkness. Praise God for that. 
Verse 10, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. Now, I understand why this has been applied many ways to uh, don't, if someone comes and knocks on your door, uh, uh, one of the cults or whatever, don't let them in, don't talk to them, don't give them the time of day. I don't think that's the same thing here, and I'll tell you why. You've got these communities, and uh, so you've got this traveling preacher, and, this tra- and we're going to see this more, I think, when we come to Third John. This traveling preacher wanders in the community, says, hey, I'm from God, and oh, okay, well, let, let's hear what you have to say. Well, you know, I've got a special re- revelation from God, and Jesus really didn't actually come in the flesh, and oh, let me stop you right there, okay? <laughs> uh, but, but let's just say that they're teaching things that are not in accordance with the teachings of Christ. Okay, well, I'm going to need a place to stay. And in those days, if, if you show up in a community and you find a place to stay, guess what happens? Everybody, everybody comes around and visits you. So giving a prophet or a preacher like that a place to stay meant giving them a platform in that community. I don't think it's the same thing. If somebody walks on my door and wants to talk to me about Christ, come on in, brother, sister, come right on in, make yourself at home. Now, I'm not going to let them teach anybody else, but you better believe I'll bring them in. Why? So that I can witness to them. Because I want to lead them to Christ. I want to counter their message. This is about giving false teachers a platform in your community. He says, do not do it. Don't allow it. Don't allow people to teach things that are false in the community of God. That's what he's guarding them from, because think about it. If they don't have this, and someone walks in, they have a special revelation, they're telling stories, and they're, they're claiming to be a representative of Christ, and people buy into that, and they believe that, and they can't check it, he can lead an entire church, an entire community astray, and they've got no way to check it until the apostle comes back. Don't give a platform to false teaching. Now, what does John want to do? He wants to go with them. He wants to be with them. He'd rather not write to them. He wants to be in their presence, I'm sure, uh, so that he could have fellowship with them. But he says in verse 13, the children of your sister who's chosen by God send their greetings. So these churches are working together. Just like in the book of Revelation, you've got these seven churches, and this letter is sent to all seven of them. You've got the same kind of thing happening here in 1 John, but a couple of those broke out, and he had a special word in 2nd and 3rd John for these churches. Now, my question for you today is, as we wrap up, I want, I want to ask you to do two things. I want to take two actions you can take away from today to try to put this into practice. Number one is I want you to develop some system in your life. It could be very simple, but where you're reading the Word... Okay, you're reading it. So there's the Bible intake. You're observing what the Bible says. You're just reading it. Then you try to interpret it. Okay, what's the main point that's being making? How, how can I outline this message? Uh, what's going on? And so you try to interpret it. By the way, my office door is always open. I would love to help you with that. But then number three, how can I put this into practice in my regular life? How can I live this out where I'm not just hearing the word, but I'm doing the word? That would separate us from much of Christianity right there if we put it into practice. But then number two, the second thing I want to ask you to do, 
Go back to that list, that thing that you really don't want to do. We're all aiming in love. But now let's get an action plan together. People that you know in your life, you can write their name down, you work with them, you live with them, whatever. You pass them. Write their name down and a concrete action you can take to show love to them. Spare heads and close our eyes. Gracious Father, I pray today that as we reflect on these things, I pray that you would give us some faces that would come to mind. And Father, some of us, this is very easy. We know exactly what we need to do in order to reach certain people with your love. So, Lord, help us to have the, the holy grit and spiritual determination to follow through, to just do it. We're not going to feel like it, Lord. Sometimes, And so, Father, just pray that we deny self, pick up our cross, and just do what you're calling us to do. Father, I thank you for this congregation, how they love one another. Help us to go deeper into your word. Help us to press on into Christ. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. The altar's open. If you want to come trust in Christ, commit to follow Jesus today. If you want to... Um, be baptized if you want to join our church or maybe you need to come kneel at the altar and say God teach me tell me what you want me to do right now let's sing